Hello, sweet grievers. Mandy here. Restorative grief is all about creating easy access to healing, no matter where or who you are. That's why I want you to remember that if you want grief support beyond a podcast, then perhaps it's time to consider a one-on-one coaching connection. You don't have to implement all these grief strategies alone, you know? Use the link in the show notes to learn more at mandykapehart.com slash coaching or reach out to me on social media because I'm here for you, okay? Now let's get on to this week's episode. Welcome back to Restorative Grief with Mandy Capehart. You are listening to episode 121, titled Rediscovering the Value of Play with Jeff Harry. This week, we are talking about the value of play as we grieve. Our core values are the foundation of our decision-making in grief, right? We use those values to drive our decisions and the restructuring of who we are as we grieve but when I introduce the value of play, sometimes I get pushback. So I'm bringing in backup to help you all understand the importance of play. My guest today is Jeff Harry, who combines positive psychology and play to heal workplaces, help teams build psychological safety, and assist individuals in addressing their biggest challenges by embracing a play-oriented approach to work. And that's exactly what we're doing today. We're going to approach our grief with a play-oriented understanding. So take a seat, maybe get a pad of paper and some pens and maybe even some markers or crayons get playful with it, and get ready to try something new for your own grief work going forward. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Mandy, and I'm here this week with Jeff Harry. I'm really excited because his work is all about play. And if you've been around grief, uh, restorative grief for any amount of time, you know that I am all about that cheekiness, the lightheartedness, and bringing even sometimes like dark humor into the recovery process for grief work. And so today we're going to talk about how we can make our grief work suck less through the value of play. So Jeff, thank you for coming to be with me today. Oh, I'm super excited for this conversation. That's good because the conversation of grief is usually not the one that people are like, right. Yay. And I, I mean, I am, but others not so much. So, um, start out by just giving us a picture of what it means to bring play into the workplace and to use play for healing. Yeah. So what's the best way in which to describe this? So I'll give you my quick Batman origin story. So when I was a kid, I saw Big with Tom Hanks um, and I loved it so much um, that I started writing toy companies in third grade (laughs) and I kept writing them until, until like 20 years later, I got into the toy industry. Which was awesome, you know, and have you ever gotten exactly what you've always wanted and then been so disappointed (laughs) when you got it, you know, and that's what happened with me, you know, like there was no toys, no joy, no high fives, just no happiness. They felt like they were just selling plastic. So I left that, came to the San Francisco Bay Area, bumped into an organization teaching kids engineering with Lego. Um, and then I basically played for like the next 15 years, just nerding out, um, playing for a living. And while I did that, what was really interesting was a few times, well, not a few times, we did this, we started doing this a lot more. There were, there were a few different fires that happened in California and, um, because we were an events organization as well we would do events where for the community and when a few different places burnt down, like whole cities burnt down, we actually had our staff come in and help 
rebuild the city out of Lego with their kids as a way to process, right. As a way to, to, um, not only give them hope that we're going to rebuild at that point, but give them some sort of control, even if in a play moment. Right. And that was really helpful to a lot of the parents that was there as well, you know, and, and I realized at that point, the, the power of play as it relates to like death and grief. And then my dad passed away in 2015. Um, and I've been trying to think of various different ways in which to still grieve him, but in a play-oriented way. So when the pandemic hit, a group of us, I think it was like two or three of us, started doing these death chats where we would just talk about death for like one or two hours every three or four months, just as a way of talking about it. And I realized talking about grief and talking about death more actually helped me understand how to live more rather than most of the time where people run away from talking about death, especially after it happened to a loved one, because they think it, they might get the death on them. Right. Or they might get, you know, the grief might spread. And it's just like, no, this is part of the, it's part of the celebration of the person, right? This person was asked on Reddit, a question about you know, a friend of theirs, they had just lost a friend of theirs. It was this 18 year old kid. He lost his best friend and she didn't know what to do. So she posts on Reddit and this older gentleman in his seventies wrote back and he basically described, and I did this a whole video about this, but he basically describes what grief is. And he was like, it's like waves, like hitting you. And you're like constantly getting hit, almost drowning in them. um, And you just never think you're going to be able to survive it. And then at some point, the waves start to come less and you can actually start to read when the grief is going to hit. You know, like I'm going to this this place where yes. it reminds me of this person and all this stuff like this. Um, and then after a while, you actually want the waves to come, yeah. you know, even though they hurt, because that is also a reminder that that person is still around. And that's my way in which I've used play as it connects to grief. It's beautiful because that those waves are a method of integrating what we've experienced and continuing mm-hmm. to, when we get to that point of welcoming them in, we're welcoming because we know how to navigate and how to metabolize those things as they come in. And so it becomes not just easier, but more pleasant even, which seems again, such a bizarre way to describe an experience of grief, but it is, a, it can be such a beautiful process. And I loved, I wanted to just identify too, so much ongoing fire trauma alone here in the Northwest that mm-hmm. that strategy is fascinating. Anderson Cooper. And he was basically saying, he was just like, I'm, he's like, I'm thankful for how sad I've felt. Right. It was like, to that extent, I'm thankful for experiencing this level of pain. And Anderson's like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, why would I, you want that? Yeah. It's like, well, that's part of the living process, right? You know, that's like, for you to feel really high highs and really high joy, you also have to feel really, you know, deep, dark parts of pain. And there's something beautiful about sadness. I remember when, when my dad passed away, his four brothers showed up. His four brothers hadn't seen each other since their mom died, which was 20 years ago. 
and they all got together for the first time. So I'm surrounded by all these family members and I start feeling all this huge sense of joy that I forgot I was at my dad's funeral. And then I felt really guilty about it. But then it was just like, no, this is, this is the point of living. You, there's joy in the sadness at the same time that there's sadness and the joy, right? Like they're all together. You know, Tuesdays with Maury would talk about that all the time, right? You feel all the feelings, right? And I think a lot of times we instead, you know, binge watch, don't get me wrong, I do it as well, where we doom scroll um, to almost numb ourselves from feelings, but then we can't feel high levels of joy anymore. And And we assume that we can get away from the pain. And I remember this one person approached Brene Brown after an event where she talked about grief. And he said, you know, my whole life, I prepared myself for when my wife was going to die. Even though I didn't know when she was going to die, I just prepared myself for when she was going to die, right? And not getting too high, not getting too low, just was constantly, you know, vigilant. And then she died and she's like, none of that helped. Like none of, none of the preparation <laughs> helped yeah. you know, for all the grief and pain that I was going to feel. And she's just like, I should have just had more joyful moments with her. Yeah. Even if there was a certain level of like preparing yourself for, oh, I'm having joy right now, but the joy is going to disappear really soon. So I should prepare for that. He's like, I should have just sat in the joy. I should have just been present for the feelings that I'm feeling at that moment rather than running away from them. Yeah. A lot of what you're talking about too, is a strategy of, of positive psychology, right? That state Mm -hmm. of saying, okay, we're not just getting ourselves to status quo where everything is fine. Everything is, you know, relatively manageable and calm. It's not exciting. It's not disappointing. It's just meh. It's just, it just is. Yeah. And going from that to a place of like learned optimism and engaging that the actions of resiliency that we inherently need to learn, right? We don't have Mm -hmm. them inherently. We have to learn them. Um, That is where I think play becomes such a useful tool because you're right. We cannot experience these emotions as isolated events. They're always integrated with one another. Um, And it's not just a it goes beyond that idea of, well, you can't have light without the darkness to show how bright the light is. It goes beyond that and into that very sense of our um, experience of belonging in relationship. It's so nuanced. And so as you were talking in relationship, (laughs) yes, wait, speak more on that. Well, that's what I was going to actually ask you to speak more on because as you were talking about that, as you were talking about that, um, the idea of play, um, collectively, right? So I can go and I can play by myself and go for a hike or whatever and call it yeah. play. Um, but that collective sense of safety is where grievers that in my experience really feel exposed and unable yeah. to move into new healing strategies because they don't have an environment that is psychologically safe for them. And, and I know yeah. that that term typically applies to workplaces, but I use it all the time for family units and, and social groups because it's necessary. Can you define psychological safety a bit and just talk about how people can maybe start to identify like, Hey, in your family unit, you might have one person. Everyone is so affected by. I guess the way in which I would define psychological safety. I mean, there's the proper definition, but I would define it as your comfortability in 
being yourself and being in your own skin and being able to share with others within the community um, openly, right? Like I've, you know, in certain families, you know, you're able to be like, oh, you know, I feel really sad right now. Um, or I I really miss my dad, right? Certain Certain families are like, don't talk about that. Like, we just don't talk about that anymore. Like, that's moved on, right? And and I think what's interesting about the belonging and connection as it ties in with grief is I think of like surfers, for example, when a, you know, a well-known, this doesn't even know, it doesn't have to be a well-known surfer, but when a surfer in the community dies, they all go out to the water together and they scream that person's name, like in a circle, in the water and then they go surfing right like you think of the many different rituals like in filipino culture you know when the person dies they actually have the body of the person that's the and they're out there for like a week people can go and visit and visit the family so the family is constantly getting people seen right over and over again here like it's like in less than a day just like, hurry up, wait, next thing, move, we're moving on. So like, there's not opportunity or time to process, right? You know, or even, I think this also happens in, in a lot of Latin culture, but it happens in the Filipino culture too, is like, we celebrate the hundred days since the person has passed away. You know, they'll, they'll go to the cemetery and maybe even have a meal by the grave. Like, I just went with my family yesterday uh, to visit my dad and we all sang uh, Christmas carols, ones that he liked. And then we all shared something that, um, some big moment when we think of like one of some of our favorite moments with him, right? Those are like ways in which you can actually play and still have a connection with a person. I remember speaking to my friend Joseph like 10, 15 years ago. And he goes, oh, I have the best conversations with my grandpa. And I was like, oh, sweet. How old is your grandpa? And he's like, oh, he passed away like five <laughs> years ago. Yeah. He's like, I just have conversations with him. You know, and whether you believe in a higher power or not, like that, that person is playing right there. That person is doing something in a way to honor the person that is already gone, but keeping them actually in a very pixar coco sort of way as long as you continue to talk about the person that person still lives on in your memory right yeah. so there are many ways in which you can celebrate people in a playful way like i have videos of my dad every birthday of his i watch videos as if i'm sitting with him you know at dinner it's really hard it's not easy it's not always fun play but it's it's a way in which i still have a connection. And I think that's such a non-traditional and invitational way to identify what play means as well. Mm -hmm. I think we, we associate play often with immaturity, right? With the yeah. childlike wonder that doesn't know that grandma's gone. She just talks to grandma all the time. Well, actually I asked a client last week to start talking to their loved one that has died because mm -hmm. it is such a cathartic way to work through some things and you can restore relational trauma without the other person being present. Right. And right. so having you can that write a letter to that person. Yes. Yeah. You know, of like course. I've gone to many of those, like, you know, self-help retreats where you do, you write, even if the person's already gone, you still communicate to them to find closure, you know? 
Yeah. I'm thinking a lot about um, the families who, or even just individuals who are listening and who need help generating gentle play ideas. Yeah. So the idea of sitting and having a conversation could be really right. Tough. The idea of going funeral or a graveside to sing songs and to have a, a big, beautiful ritual around it might be too much, or maybe they don't even have that level of connection or intimacy in their immediate support circle where they feel safe doing that. Even I'm thinking too about like, oh, play at a family event where somebody's not usually open for conversation makes me think of board games or um, watching a funny movie. What are some other ways that are maybe more gentle and invitational that you've experienced like us um, that, that people can bring play in to the story, into the space without, without being accused of just trying to gloss over, Hey, this hurts. Yeah. Uh, I, I try to think of like, okay, I always go back to like, what are your favorite moments with that person? Right. That's good. So what are the favorite moments? So first, sit with those moments if you just want to sit with them that'd be gentle enough you don't have to do anything you don't have to move or anything right but then i used to go golfing with my dad i hate golfing <laughs> like it is not my most enjoyable sport but he used to go to a certain dome to go hit balls and i've gone back there just as a ritual to remind myself that you know he's there with me right and to think of those like favorite moments that you had with that person and then just simply visiting those areas or or visiting doing those activities you know i play spades with my sister and you know my nephew we played like i think at like till 1 a.m. 2 a.m. the other night that's what i used to do with my dad i mean we didn't stay up till 1 or 2 a.m. with him but you know what i'm saying and and we would just talk about Wow, we used to do this with dad. And then we start reminiscing about yeah. it. Those and that's another gentle way in which you're you're doing an activity. It's not directly like now it's time to talk about death, but it's more being like, let's just experience an activity. And with that, you're calling in the spirit of that person or the memory of that person. Earlier you were talking about how play is such a useful um tool for community, right? In the, whether it's a workplace or a family. And I was thinking about those platitudes that have come up over the years with people that I work really hard to disarm. And the one that came to mind the most that, that probably can feel connected to play is that idea that someone would not want you to feel sad, right? Yeah. This platitude will someone says like, Oh, yeah. cheer up. They wouldn't want you to feel that way. Yeah. Um, whether it's true or not, whether they were a bypasser who says, please don't feel yeah. sad around me or not. Yeah, that impression can kind of attach itself to this idea of play. I know that when I came into mm -hmm. um, an organization that I work with now and I brought play as a value, as a core value for people to say, hold on to this as a part of your healing process and recovery from all of the work that you do. Um, I was met with a ton of resistance and cynicism of how in the world is sitting down with a coloring book, a deck of cards, silly putty going to make me feel better as I'm grieving. So talk to me a little bit about how the play itself and what you do and how you bring it to teams plays out, so to speak, yeah. and really affects change for those groups and those individuals. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So I'll answer it in this way. So at first, you know what? You're not going to feel better. 
this is not about feeling better. It's about feeling the feelings that you're feeling, right? Like, as you said earlier, stop, let's stop bypassing the feelings. Let's stop uh, treating death like capitalism, where you're just like, okay, now we're done. Now we're moving on. You know, the amount of people that I've talked to that have lost loved ones and then Everyone else is like, okay, you 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 done? Are you done grieving? Like, can uh, we get back to what we're doing before? And it's like, no, dude. Like, I'm always gonna feel like this. Yeah. Sometimes I feel sad. Sometimes I'm gonna be happy. Sometimes I'm gonna check out. Like, this is all part of the process, right? When I went, like, I think my dad had just passed away, and then I went to that dome to go golfing, a sport again. I don't really enjoy. <laughs> I was hitting balls and almost weeping while I was doing it. So yeah. I'm playing and sad at the same time. What's up with that? I don't know, but it's part of the process of just like feeling whatever feelings that you're feeling. So I think we have to first acknowledge that rather than being like, well, what am I supposed to feel? Yeah. No one's supposed to do anything, especially when it comes to grief or death. You, Everyone mourns a different way. I remember getting really frustrated at my one of my sisters during the funeral process because she wasn't like active and doing all the things I was doing. And I was like that. And then I finally realized like, she's mourning in a totally different way than I am. Like, yeah. you know, I need to, that's unfair of me to be like, you gotta be, you have to mourn the way I mourn. Like, that's just not cool. So I think we have to, if we could only give each other the level of patience and care and compassion and empathy that we give people during when someone passes away. Oh my gosh, we're just a greater world in general because like you're just giving them more space and more time. So we start with like celebration. We start with the fact, we start with gratitude. You know, a lot of times we start with like, okay, instead of focusing on where we have um, disconnect and division, you know, where have we done really great work? You know, I, I've worked with like, you know, a medical professionals and hotel staff and, you know, HR teams. And each of them have gone through such pain and suffering in the last three, four years, right? You know, like I, I remember talking to a bunch of of medical professionals and I was, and they didn't realize they had saved so many lives. Wow. When I asked them, I was like, how many lives have you saved in the last, you know, few years, right? Or first responders when I was working for city government, like how many, what initiatives did you do that prevented many people from getting COVID? Like, like, have you celebrated that? Like the fact that we haven't even processed the fact that a million people died in the US, yeah. and that like tens of millions of people died across the world. We we mourn 9-11 every year. Like people in New I used to live in New York during that time. Like they still have that ritual. That was only 3,000 people, right? And we don't even talk about what has happened in the last three years. We just kind of move on from it. So we start there. We start with just celebrating the fact that we're still here, that we got through all this. Um, and then they start to see the humanity in each other. You know, and then after then, then we are, well, let's celebrate what, what's, I asked them questions like, how many people, people's lives have you impacted in the last three years? Uh, they can't even calculate that number, right? And then I'm like, what are the names of some of the people that you've impacted? You know, and then share stories with each other of, um, 
your most memorable moment for the last year, the most memorable moment in the last two or three years. And then they start sharing with each other. They start seeing each other's inner child. They start seeing each, what they value. And they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't even know you did this. Like, I remember I was working with a hotel and I asked this question. Oh wait, I gotta, if you don't mind, I gotta share two different stories. Let's go. <laughs> so, so I was working with this hotel and we were doing the thing of like, what was your most memorable moment of last year? And they were broken up into groups of four or five. And then when I was just like, does anyone want to share? And then, you know, a lot of people were scared to share. And then everyone started pointing to the chef and they were like, he needs a share. And he's like, he was reluctant, but he I was just like, it's like, okay, fine. I will. Um, and I was just like, well, what was the moment? He goes, well, someone came into the hotel and said, um, that their family member was terminally ill, but one of the last meals they wanted to have was a specific meal at that hotel. Wow. So he made the meal for this person. Um, that person came to the hotel, stayed in the hotel just so they could have that specific meal. When he shared that story, the rest of the group of like a hundred people knew nothing of that story. Knew, didn't even know that was going on. You know, didn't even realize that was important work. I thought we're just hotel workers providing a place for people to stay, but like more important, right? Um, I was working with the city of Rancho Cucamonga, California, and I love that city. That's why I give a shout out to it. Uh, Stephen, if you're listening, love that organization. Um, and uh, this guy who's a GIS guy was sharing, we asked the same question. And he's a maps guy. He just makes maps. That's all he does. Um, and so he didn't think it was that big of a deal. And I was just like, well, is there any memorable moment? And he goes, oh, well, there was a moment when a bunch of firefighters came in to thank me. And I didn't understand why they came to thank me. But what had happened maybe a week or two before is a firefighter had died in a major fire uh, trying to save a family. Mm. And he had created the route for the funeral procession. And he had done it in such a way that it covered a lot of the city of Rancho, right? So a lot of families were able to come out and thank the firefighters. And the firefighters did not know how much they were appreciated until that moment. Yeah. And this guy just makes maps, right? So talk about like connection to like grief and mourning and community. All of that was done with this guy just doing his job, just drawing maps. That's that's a way in which to, that's all another way of of grieving, right? So, and play. So there are these, yeah. There's just so many fascinating ways in which this comes into play, even in work. Yeah. Well, I'm getting a lot of the importance of integrating all of it together, and you we you talked about this earlier too. Um, yes, there's the both and. I can feel joy and sadness at once. How would you, but, but like that, I can say that a million times a day and someone that yeah. has never experienced it is going to say, okay, yeah. cool. That sounds great for you. But what about me? And I'm thinking about the guilt you had mentioned just briefly about feeling like I shouldn't feel this way. Um, or I feel guilty for feeling, feeling joyful at a funeral because it's a funeral. If I'm sitting in the workplace and I feel obligated to do six tasks a day, but I'm distracted and being playful with my team. What's more important is being playful 
taking precedent over the work task because of the longevity or is the longevity of the company and my commitment more important? And mm. how do you invite people into that gray space where both are super important and necessary? Yeah, you you fail. <laughs> <laughs> you make mistakes. Like you you test. I mean, you know, I define play as any joyful act where you forget about time, right? But I also... I also, yeah, exactly, right? Where you're fully present in the moment, where you're fully in flow, where you're fully in your zone of genius. But I also define play as the opposite of perfection. And perfection is rooted in ego and shame and constantly trying to be right. And play is rooted in curiosity, awe, and a sense of wonder. And a part of that sense of wonder is, is also failing. Like, you don't know. Sometimes you will play too much with your staff and not get the other tasks done sorry, whatever, you know, and then other times you might focus way too much on the work and not celebrate your staff. And you're going to have to learn from that too. Like, like we're all trying to figure this out together. And this really ties into, you know, what are your values and how do you want to show up? Right. You know, whenever someone passes away, you start to think for yourself, especially if you're at a funeral, like, am I living a full life? You know, Am I doing what I what I want to be doing? What, what, what is the one of the biggest regrets of the dying? I wish I lived the life that I wanted to live and not the life that others wanted for me, mm -hmm. right? So that's for you to figure out at that moment. That's for you to sit. And if you feel guilty at the time, okay, then sit in the guilt, yeah. you know, like, but what happened with me is I felt guilty and then I was just like, well, is this guilt going to help me at this point? Because I I don't know when these four brothers are going to be here again. So I could just sit in the guilt or I could just enjoy the moment. And this actually reminds me of, of skydiving of all things. You know, I like going skydiving with people that have never gone before. I've gone like four or five times. And the fascinating thing about skydiving is as soon as you jump out of the plane, like you just assume you're going to die. <laughs> like, like it's a strong likelihood out of any other time that is a high likelihood you might die. So the, at the question, the question at that point, when you're falling is like, you know, I could either regret jumping or I could just enjoy the ride down. <laughs> That's what's happening at that moment. That's what was happening when I was at my dad's funeral. Like, do I just enjoy this moment right now? Or do I just start thinking of all the shoulds? And I'm like, I can't live along and I don't have enough time to think of all the shoulds. The shoulds are exhausting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so why don't I just be present in where I'm feeling now and I'm and be present with the feelings I'm feeling now. And and as I learned through, you know, Tuesdays with Maury, one of my favorite books about death, he's like, feel the full feeling. And once you feel the full feeling, you can let it go. So if you feel guilt, allow yourself to feel all of the guilt and then and then see if you, now you can let it go rather than like tamping it down yeah. and being like, well, I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel joyful right now. Well, then, you know, isn't that toxic positivity at that point? Like you got to, you got to, for yourself. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and I'm also being very like, not careful with my words, but very like, open of like, this has worked for me, but I don't know what's right. going to work for you. Right. Yeah. Like, we're all figuring this out. Anyone that says this is what you should do. And here is the listicle of how do you grieve? It's just, Run from them. It doesn't work. <laughs>
Yeah. Yeah. Run away, man. It doesn't work. Uh, That's exactly where I get to with people is that idea that we don't, we vilify our emotions and our feelings because we don't ever get to know them intimately. Kind of like you were saying with coworkers, if we don't know them, we can't celebrate them. We can't celebrate the wins Mm -hmm. going on in their lives. If we don't get to spend time with them and sit with them and, and hear their stories and emotion is just information that we need to be able to process through what we're experiencing externally from ourselves and internally and even relationally with others. And so this has been such a beautiful invitation back into playfulness because that's one of those core values that when I suggest it to people, because core value work is like foundational for everything at restorative grief, like in a lot of ways, it's foundational for everything, but it's like the first thing I bring to people who are grieving. And while it can be jarring, it's even more so when I suggest something that feels lighthearted, I'm like, what about a value of laughter? And, Mm -hmm. and, and to take that in and determine what that would actually mean for you is a big risk. It takes so much willingness to be wrong, to like, to fail, to, um, it means you have to look for nuance in situations where laughter can easily be overlooked and say, well, is laughter present? Is there an opportunity here? Or am I just, you know, like you said, putting positivity on everything I do and trying to survive? Or am I looking for opportunities to really cultivate what laughter means and what it generates yeah. for me? And so um, what what also comes up for me is um, I run this workshop with a friend of mine, Sarah Serrani called um, Embrace Your Fears, We Not Me. And it's how you, how do we approach fear, but from a place of community rather than in isolation because fear is so isolating. And also grief can be very isolating because you're like, oh, I'm feeling, I want to talk about death. Well, I don't want to talk about death with you. You know, everyone's like running away, right? But I remember her sharing two different stories about how in her culture and Pakistani culture, when someone died and they were taking the person's body to the grave in the coffin, they would walk with it. And people from the community would come out and help carry it all the way down. So more and more people's hands would help carry it and talk about like a community type um, experience. And then I remember she said, she's never, she rarely has ever seen her father cry. But during COVID, he was a pul- he's a pulmonologist, so he's basically a COVID doctor yeah. in Texas during this time. Mm-hmm. And he saw something that just like floored him where, you know, we're talking about April, May of 2020 when there was no yeah. vaccine. People were dying and they would hold an iPad up to say goodbye to their loved ones and that'd be it. He saw workers, janitors, going into patients as they were dying and holding their hand. Yeah. Like risking their life for this person. They don't even know. Right. And talk about like, so I think a lot of times when we look at grief, we have to also be thinking about how am I also doing this in community? Mm. How am I allowing others to mourn with me rather than thinking like, this is just, no one else understands this. We're all, we've all, we're all experiencing it or going to experience it. So, so seeking out community at these points Mm -hmm. is very restorative, not just to you, but for the entire community. And I think we selfishly hold on to it because we feel like we have to grieve by ourselves, but that's, 
that doesn't do right by us. It doesn't do right by our family. It doesn't do right by the community. Well, and no joke, when 2020 started, I experienced, it's my mom's anniversary in January. So I was dealing with that. I was dealing with the loss of a job, um, a former very toxic boss and Mm. a miscarriage all at the same time. And then in March, our schools shut down and I was like, no, no, Hey globe, listen, I get that things are tough. This is before I had like understanding, mm-hmm. but it's my year to be a mess. Right. And I need you to right. get it together. Cause right. I need you stability. Right. And then in April, I had this moment when I saw, I was watching the news and saw what was going on and realized, Oh no, I'm about to go into generations and generations of global untended grief. I have to change my tune. Not only do I have to change mm. my tune, I have been a forerunner for this conversation. It's time to get really serious about it because that communal aspect was so evident for me at that point, my mom had been gone for four years and I did not want to live in a world that continued to lack grief literacy and comprehension of how to move through something that feels like death and experience vibrancy in the process. So I, what I'm talking about, this is when death teaches us how to live. Yeah. Yeah. I think you step fully into your values. There's that's the beauty of death, which is really weird to say that, but like, that's when we start actually taking actions. We never thought we would take right. Quitting jobs. We've never leaving relationships or you're taking risks and joining relationship that we never thought we would do. Like, all these things happen at these crucial moments. And I think we need to listen to ourselves at those moments. Well, I just want to say, Jeff, thank you. I hope that people are truly listening to the story that you're bringing and the heart behind it. And the way that you have, you didn't say it in so many words, but I'm going to summarize it in saying the way that you have approached um, people and community with an atmosphere of love instead of fear letting them make that decision for themselves about how they want to engage their lives, their communities and, and playfulness as the motivating factor instead of living in fear and isolation and accusation and, or even in the workplace, that anxiety that I'm not performing to a level of being kept around. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, thank you again for being here. And I'm going to make sure that anybody who is listening can reach out to you and see your hilarious videos and uh, even listen to your death talks through the show notes because they're all rich, meaningful resources that we need as we're going through this kind of stuff. So thank you for making time with me today. Thanks so much for having me. I hope this was was helpful to everybody. I'm sure it was because <laughs> it was helpful to me. So yay. <laughs> Thank you for listening to episode 121 of Restorative Grief. The value of play as an aspect of the work we do as grievers is so easily dismissed, so I am grateful you took the chance to invite some lightheartedness into your own process. Hopefully you pulled a few gems for yourself and your community out of this conversation, but if you missed them, go back through and listen again because the insights Jeff offered are going to help you establish your own playfulness as a part of healing, and that is an incredible gift you can give yourself. Be sure to give Jeff a follow on social media if you need more levity in your days because he's cheeky and funny and his work will continue to help your grief work suck less even after this episode is done. 
If this is your first time listening to the show, I want to thank you for being here and supporting restorative grief by listening and sharing it with your friends and family. I know value of play is a big one of mine. And I think that continuing to listen to podcast episodes and establishing your own core values and what moves the needle for you and your grief work is a huge and beautiful process that you could engage in for this year. Make sure you subscribe to the show, become a Patreon member if you're interested in more. Um, And as always, as I mentioned, there are coaching spots open in my individual one-on-one practice. So I would love to hear from you if you have questions about what that is, what that looks like, or what uh, other grief resources might be available to you. Check out the show notes to connect with Jeff or myself. And as always, before we go, one last thing, please remember the only solution for grief is to do the work of grieving. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Thank you.